You know, we are um, in these few days here. We have uh, my slides there, Joe. In these days, we have uh, looked at God's 2020 vision for us as we step into the year 2020. And we have looked at different things. Today, I want us to look at his 2020 vision for the world. I was standing greeting people last Sunday, and our drummer, uh, Dylan, who's a big Lakers fan, walks up to me as I'm greeting people, and he says, did you hear that Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash? And I said, no. Little did I know the reality of that, how it would set in, not just with someone like him and myself, but it literally uh, rippled across the nation. Um, the death of Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter, uh, Gianna, and seven others tragically killed in a helicopter crash in the Calabasas Hills in the midst of heavy fog. Now, a lot of the details is exactly why it all happened hasn't come out yet, but I tell you what, the suddenness of a uh, NBA superstar with MVPs and even an Oscar award for a movie he helped with, a film thing last year, suddenly having his life taken strikes everybody. And I've watched it this week from um, sort of an observing standpoint of why is it that this grabs a hold of us such? I mean, the Empire State Building was lit in purple and gold Laker colors, as was Santa Monica Pier and other places. And before all the basketball games, it seemed, even college ranks, there was this, this moment of silence, the 24-second silence, or the 24-second the clock run down, or the 8-second behind, you know, backcourt violation, or 24.2 seconds because Gigi's number in her basketball league was number two. There's just this sudden reality of a superstar, but it wasn't just that because Kobe had had his ups and downs. In fact, you know, he was able to restore his marriage after a major blunder a few number of years ago, and him and Vanessa had some other kids, and, and he, three years into his retirement, the age of 41, was, was seemingly a great dad, and one of the reasons he took helicopter rides was so he could be able to take his kids back and forth to school, so he could be able to make practices and not get caught in the L.A. traffic, and all these stories storylines coming down the pipe. Other famous NBA players and professional athletes and even celebrities, they're taken back and they're texting about this whole sudden event. It was almost like there was a 9-11 event where the whole nation came together in pause, even in the midst of an impeachment kind of week. There was a unity factor. And what was the unity factor around? Well, we can't relate to being an NBA superstar, and we can't relate to being able to just take a helicopter to t take a trip somewhere and many of the other niceties that someone like him had, but we can relate to pursuing our goal and working hard, which is something that uh, Kobe did from his get-go when he was an 18-year-old coming out of high school, jumping straight into the NBA. We can relate to being able to love on our kids and, and long for a season that we can spend more time with them. We can relate to being able to take our kids, maybe not in a helicopter, but in our car to a game event. We can relate because we are human. And it ripples across a nation because it's an event with a person everybody knows and can identify with. And it causes us to sit back and pause and go, 
Oh my goodness. How tragic. But how human am I too? That my life could be snuffed out in any moment. There's something that grips us about our humanity. For all the diversity and, and, and the need to be able to treat different kinds of people equally and, and be nice. That kind of, we have one thing foremost at front in common with everyone. And that is we are human. And there is an expiration date that we have to attend whether we realize it or not. Life is like a vapor. And life is precious. How many things would you give up just for that extra day? That extra week? And so it does us right to pause. I remember in high school, there were some kids that um, died. A, a tragic car accident or something like that. And man, it just a ripple effect across the high school for, for a few weeks. And then it all sort of settled down and everything got back to normal. Sort of like when 9-11 hit, and man, that just struck the nation. The churches were packed the next day. In fact, they were fairly full for a month, but after a month, it worked its way back to just the regular routine of, of who people were that were normally coming. You see, we have these jolts that go, you're human. Life is like a vapor, but life is precious, and we're all in this canister together. And how do we make sense of it? Well, if we're looking, if we're looking for purpose and meaning in this life, then we need to get his vision for us. His vision for us as individuals, his vision for us corporately as a body of people called the church, his vision for this valley, and as we're going to talk about today, his vision for the world his vision for the world we said that our mission statement for us as a church and maybe you've got it memorized by now is just simply this people leading people to become fully alive in christ and to his mission and this mission statement is not just fully alive for eternity and that's usually what you see expounded from a pulpit. It's like, you need to know Jesus. You need to be saved so you can live forever with him. Amen and amen and amen. And God, we are so grateful for eternity, especially in light of a week that we realize the brevity of life. But it's not just fully alive for eternity that we long to see happen in each of our lives and the lives of others, but it's fully alive in the present age. As we said in John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes, Satan comes to still kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And so we want to be about it as a body of people, people leading other people to become fully alive to Christ and his mission. And so as we walked around this vision frame that's listed up here, the mission is represented by what was on the right side of the frame. And you have in your program some of what we walked through this past month related to this vision frame. Next to that was the values. 
And the values simply are disciple-making, community-building, missional living. What do we do? What do we passionately hold dear in this brief, uncertain life? And that is that we are making disciples, not just mere converts or pew-sitters or churchgoers or nice people or good people. We want to make disciples of Jesus because that's what he commanded us. And so there needs to be a tenacity, a seriousness to that fact of what it means to be a disciple and a follower of Christ. So disciple-making, community-building, community, rich community is sort of, I have to smile to myself. He was like, hey, here's how, what Dwayne did this week and, and how he's doing. And, and um, uh, Sarah stands and Jessica talks about her aunt. We're, we're all sort of a family and we share family together. And you're in your life groups and you connect one with another, Right? And we are able to journey, celebrate, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. We have community and it's rich because I tell you what, in our world, it's trying to isolate people into aloneness all the time. But we, through Christ, have a chance to build community. And then thirdly, value is the missional living, that we are actually here for a purpose. We are on mission and we are living it out. So the mission, the values, and then we talked briefly that the strategy, four things that we do to help provide some structure to move us along this path is that we have an everyday witness that we're called to, each of us. We're going to be mentioning a little bit more of that here today. And then we have our weekend worship where the sound goes out and everything dies, you know, because it's not about the program. It's not about the bells and the whistles. It's about the worship of a gathering of people in Jesus' name, lifting to him the glory that's due him. And that's through song, that's through catalytic teaching of God's word, that's through community sharing, it's through believing prayer, one with another. And then we have weekday or weekly life groups where we gather in circles, and there was a good circle in my house this week as we shared together on different scripture that God had been speaking to us about in our history past. And being able to pray one for another and cheer each other on and be able to pick each other if they're up, if they're down, and be able to think about how we can be a small group that's living on mission too. And then our monthly gathering, like our chili cook-off last week, but also outreach events. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second as well. So that's the structure of a strategy. And then last week, we looked at the measures. What's the bullseye? What's the missional um, uh, measures we're looking for? Faith that we're living, the calling of a relationship with Christ together, all right, that we're involved with a hope, living with a view of eternity and God's purpose Love, living out loud with actions of obedience one to another. Truth, learning, living to learn the deep truths of God through his word and what's ultimately going on in our world and in our lives. And then power, living by the spirit, living by the Holy Spirit, giving us the energy and the drive and the passion to carry things through. Are those five measures marks of the disciples that we're seeking to raise, beginning with ourselves, as we stay on mission for God's purposes in this day and age? People leading people to become fully alive in Christ and to his mission. So, if we were to have an exam, I hope you could fill out that picture frame at some level through the course of this month.
As we said, churches stay unified not always because of every jot and tittle of of doctrinal uh, nuance, but they stay united around the purpose and the vision that God calls them to. And if you're new here today, that's who we are. That's some of our vision. That's some of our passion. And yes, it applies to your life and to mine equally because Jesus wants you to be fully alive in him and to his mission. But in our values... If you were to ask me which one we are weak in, I would say we're weak in missional living. And so I want to pause today in talking about his 2020 vision for the world through us and talk about this understanding of missional living and where we can run with it and how we can seek to improve it in our own life for his glory. Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20, we're familiar with the Great Commission. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I underlined here this whole idea of all nations. That word in the Great Commission means all people groups. I could pause here this morning and say, how many of you are over the age of 70 and have you stand? I could pause and say, how many of you um, come from a geographical area other than Southern California and you could stand? How many of you are um, single? I could have you stand. We can identify different pockets of people, but so also ethnically we can identify different pockets of people. Socioeconomically we can identify different pockets of people. And so when Jesus spoke these words of all nations, he wasn't talking necessarily about a physical geographical boundary of a nation as we think about it. The word behind it has to do with people groups, all kinds of people groups. In all the languages that are spoken across the world, all the dialects that there's variances of within the language, all the different localities, all the different uh, political systems that exist. If you look across the world, there's a lot of the nations to reach. And so Jesus took this squandery little group of 12 people with some other followers and said, hey, I'm going to be heading out of here pretty soon, and I want you to make disciples of all nations. Most of them probably hadn't been out of Judea or modern-day Israel at that time. And you're like, what? Yep. And you're like, could, could you like strike up the Internet and send out some type of video or something, a JPEG, or just a picture maybe? Nope. It's going to be through you. And he said, I'm going to empower you. When we get to the end of God's book, what do we find around the throne? After Jesus returns, we find these words in Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. I grew up thinking that the Caucasian individual would be the prominent type of person in heaven. 
I am wrong. I moved to Southern California. I dropped my son off at his high school. 3,000 people. Take him out from a very known school environment, drop him in a large school environment in Southern California. And when I walked away that first day, a few years ago, this is the verse I thought of. People from every language, tribe, language, people, and nation. The diversity here, even it's represented here in our room today, is incredible. And it's a slice of heaven. God is the dreamer. And we are his dreams. God is the artist. And we are his artwork. And he created people. Diversity he thrives in. Bringing unity amidst diversity is an ultimate goal of his. And that unity and that diversity is only going to happen because he is the head and we worship him. We live in such a splintered culture, do we not? Which side you on? And it's not just a political thing. It's, you know, type of lifestyles, other kinds of things. We position all these different pockets and what's my little group? And you sit back and you go, you know, it's only a tactic of the adversary, Satan himself, to pit people against people. When God has created us all as human beings. It didn't matter what kind of race, what kind of age, what kind of financial bank accounts people on that helicopter had last Sunday morning. They were all human. And so we unite around the human element of who we are and who God has made us to be in connection with him. And we worship him. And Jesus is going to bring people together from every tribe and language and nation. And it's going to be an awesome experience. I love our mission field here. And we're going to work hard at trying to diversify and being able to specialize, to reach different sectors, but not to splinter, but to be able to keep whole. I had the opportunity this week, you can pray about it as we discern it. There was a Spanish-speaking church that would like to come and rent our facility, use our facility on Sunday afternoons. What do you think? Well, I don't know. What do they like? What do they believe? What are they going to do to the building? What's it going to inconvenience us? I mean, we've got the Arabic-speaking congregation that meets after here and venue B, and that's sort of nice, but this is enough. Friends, God has called us to reach this valley. His vision for people of every tribe, language, and nation. I don't see us having a Spanish-speaking kind of congregation, but if people want to come here and hold one, and, and we were talking about how we could just encourage one another as fellowships and what's going on, it's like, hey, we're in this together. Why? Because there's not multiple churches in this valley. There's only one church in this valley, ultimately, that God sees. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Different expressions, different kinds of worship. Somebody smiled at me because I brought up a hymn book today. It's like, hey, you got a hymn book there. Well, we don't use hymn books. We use a screen. Other churches use hymn books. Other churches do different things. Friends, it doesn't matter the different kinds of expressions. We are one in Christ. And when we look into eternity, it's going to be an incredible mosaic of all kinds of people. And all kinds of seasons. And years and generations of life. 
So are you a little uncomfortable by diversity? You need to get used to it. This is God's vision right here around the throne, proclaiming, declaring worship to him. Tim Dearborn said this, it's not that the church of God that has a mission in the world, but the God of mission who has a church in the world. So if that's his vision for the world and his vision for eternity, then we participate in what he's doing. And if we are weak in missional living, it's not that we need to get this big program put together to do mission, but we need to understand that we have a God of mission who has a church he wants to use. I always have struggled with this. I grew up in a church that's affiliated with our denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. We used to have missionary speakers come in all the time. We would host them in our home even. My parents would. And I remember you know, watching slideshows and, and seeing some of the things they brought from foreign countries. Now we live in a, a global internet world and um, cable world and we're able to see other cultures so much more and people travel so much more. So it's a little bit different than when I was young growing up. But I always had this fascination with missions and missionaries. In fact, I uh, not just had a fascination, I had a fear of it. Because I felt if I was to give my life out full pledge to the Lord, He'd make me be a missionary and go somewhere where I didn't want to go and be around people I didn't want to be around. But they'd preach that. We have missions. Go into all the world. And as that got sort of built into my heart, I would start thinking, well, we need to have a, a missions program at a church. But a missions program at a church is wrong because we all are a part of the missions effort of God. And we need to individually discern if this is God's vision, people from every tribe and language, people and nation, then how am I to participate in his mission? The God of mission has a church. The church of God doesn't have its own little mission. There's a big dramatic difference in that. John 20, verse 21, the scene, if you recall, Jesus has been raised from the dead and he comes back to reveal himself to his disciples. Shock and awe, as you can imagine. What if Kobe Bryant walked in the back door this morning? That's the kind of, oh my goodness, can't believe this. Their Messiah, would-be Messiah, had died on a cross amidst thieves spat upon, accused, mocked. They hid. He died. He was placed in a grave. But he rose again and he came forth. And he walked into their midst. And in John 20, 21, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I don't know about you. I'd like to have been there, but I would have been scared being there too. It's like, what? What? You're going to send us out with those people that just killed you? Yeah. Really? Yeah. But I'm going to send you out with my spirit. And he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. Spirit, he sent them out 
The God of mission has a church, and the church means everyone here is sent out into some neck of the woods or corporate world or neighborhoods. We're all being sent. We're all missionaries in that sense. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher in London, once said that we're all we're either all missionaries, all believers are missionaries, or you're an imposter. That's pretty harsh. But the reality is that we have to identify not just as a believer and a Christian, but we are missionaries because we serve a God who is on mission. And he is sending us out like he sent out the original 12, but he's sending us out with the power of the spirit. That's why Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And one of the important things to notice in that is that it's not Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth. The conjunction is an and. We are his missionaries doing all these things simultaneously. We as a church, to strengthen our missional living value, have three areas that we focus on in his mission. The first is local missions. In this valley, Marietta, Temecula, you name the local valley area, there are mission efforts that go on to reach people that are maybe not like us or people that are like us that need to have some extra encouragement. We will strive as a church body to invest in local mission stuff, which geographically means in this valley. It's our Jerusalem our main city. But then it says, and you'll be my witnesses, you'll be my missionaries in Judea and Samaria. And Judea and Samaria was, you know, the, the next tier out and Samaria represented a different kind of ethnic group of people that, that the, the Jewish people didn't quite align with. And so the command was, you're going to reach Samaria too. And so we have the second thing, which is regional missions. And for us, I think in terms of Southern California, and so that's that's a pretty big mission field there for regional missions. We are part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, and um, it's a network of churches. There's about 100 churches in Southern California, part of the Alliance movement, and uh, we partner with other mission efforts. We prayed recently for one of those regional missions efforts, and that's our work in Watts, the powerhouse that's there, and the, one of the leaders, uh, the leading couple, um, um, Todd and Jennifer Grant, Jennifer passed away. And so they are realigning all this work now, trying to figure out how do we reach the Watts area. But Watts would be like a mission field in a regional dimension capacity for us. And then we have with the Christian Missionary Alliance, we have all the nations. The CMA is Christian Missionary Alliance, and it's not just alliance works. There's other works we can partner with, but we've chosen as alliance body to say the global stuff, and you have the statistics in your program, you know, the, the 700 missionaries that are summoning some different countries and dialects, all that's going on. We want to be on that. So we have these three dimensions of mission that God's called us to that we need to elevate as a church. And guess what? It's not someone else's job. It's your job. It's my job. We are missionaries. Whether we want to claim it or not, God has placed us on a mission field. 
you can get into places I can never get into. Do you know that? You don't have to go to some foreign mission field. You can just strike up missions in your network of people. We're going to press forward in this. And one of the steps that we've taken in pressing forward to this is to consider how we can have strengthening in our body of people leading people to be fully alive in Christ and on his mission. And we had the opportunity in this year's budget to carve out a small amount to bring on an assistant pastor of outreach and connections part time. It's a start for us. And this morning, I'd like to introduce that person to you. This person graduated from Cal Baptist University a year ago with a behavioral Christian science major, Christian counseling, communications major. While they were there, they spent a lot of time working on campus with their um, spiritual life outreach, being able to take short-term trips, do some other things regionally, even in the L.A. area. This individual uh, had the opportunity to be an intern at the largest alliance church in Southern California for us, and that is um, the Grove up in Moreno Valley. They run about six, 7,000 people, and you probably couldn't be mentored better than with their, their pastor of outreach, uh, Joe Hobbs, and this church takes like 50 different short-term trips every year that you can be a part of and other things that they're doing, and so this individual is immersed in doing that. Upon their graduation, they went to an Alliance Church and uh, uh, was a youth pastor for a period of six months. At the end of that six months, a probationary kind of period, they were trying to decide if they could bring him on full-time or if it was the right kind of fit. And for whatever reason, that church decided that it wasn't the right kind of fit, the right time, whatever it may be. And so that individual has fallen to us as an opportunity, not as uh, someone who comes to us looking for a job, but I'm very excited to introduce to you this person, and he does have the same last name as my wife and I, and that is Zach Bowman. Zach, would you come? Would you welcome? Yeah, he's my son. But you know, a lot of Thoughts come with that, but the majority of thoughts, honestly, are people's like, how cool is that, that you were able to partner in ministry uh, with your son to press forward the kingdom's work. I have a great family. I have four kids, and Zach is our second uh, oldest son, and from early years, uh, he has had a high relational uh, quotient of interacting with people, and I saw his heart grow for things of God's kingdom and for doing outreach. And the job description that the uh, board put together for Zach is quite varied, not just with outreach, but also with connections, helping people get connected in groups, because our groups are going to be missional life groups. Also with the idea that uh, uh, we can maybe kickstart with Joe, the young adult ministry again, and those kinds of things, because he doesn't have gray hair like his dad. But uh, there is uh, a lot of opportunity uh, to utilize Zach but he is part-time, and as we sometimes joke about, that's sort of an oxymoron. Part-time ministry really doesn't exist. But we're going to move forward with this. And Zach, if you'd just like to share a few words of greeting so people know who you are and you're not unknown to us. Well, uh, very excited to be here.
Hello. Oh, there we go. So I'm very excited to be here with you guys. Um, the last three months has kind of been a journey for me where, uh, you know, about two months ago, this was brought up to me as a possibility. And kind of my first reaction to it was, you know, well, I don't necessarily want to go work with my work for my father type of thing. You know, as a young adult, you want to be able to go off and be able to kind of be your own person and figure out who you are in Christ and who you are um, in the world. But as the last two months, I've kind of journeyed with that and journeyed closely with God. The more I was like, Lord, if this is not someplace that you want me to go, just slam the door in my face. But as I continue to go through every single day, trying to make up excuses, well, maybe this won't work. I'll just stay here, do this for the time being, find somewhere else. God continued to open up each and every door and said to me, no, this is what I have for you. I have for you to be able to go to the Awakening Church and to be able to create, you know, this missional idea, this outreach idea out of, you know, what's currently there, but really just grow it into something to where it's God's kingdom. I had about a 32-hour drive to get out here, and um, we uh, split that up it into was two back days. In Indiana, yeah, I was back working. in Indiana. I had a 32-hour drive to get out here, and split it into two days. And you know, I had read something that was like, you can read through the New Testament in 19 hours. And I was like, well, I have 32 hours. Not, I'm driving during that time. I probably can't read while I drive, but I can listen to it. And so I started to begin, maybe I should start reading through the New Testament again. And so I started to do that, but um, to be completely honest, with the start of it, I started listening to it, and I was running off of like four hours of sleep, and I started to kind of doze off. And so, you know, it's kind of bad to say about the living word, but it's also just kind of a reality. I was like, okay, well, maybe it's not a this trip type of thing. But I was reading through Matthew, and Matthew 9 talks about how the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And this is widely quoted. This is something that has been a large part of my life. But during this time when Jesus said this, he was going around in his ministry. He was healing people. He was doing everything. And you've got to imagine the amount of people that were in front of him, this huge crowd in front of him, that would just completely overwhelm majority of people and be like, it's like the idea of, you know, you have this huge event at work, and then way too many people show up, and you're like, what am I doing? But Jesus just said, you know, he wasn't overwhelmed in that moment. He was just asking who is going to step up. And it's that same idea when we drive around Temecula, when we drive around Marietta, we, you know, hate the traffic with the amount of people that have moved here. But the harvest is plentiful. The people around us, there are tons of people. And it's our job. It's our, you know, opportunity. We get to be able to reach every single one of those people. And that's where my heart lies. That's what I want to do, you know. I had someone come up to me this morning, you know, and I, you know, I told, they knew I was coming on and they were like, oh, you have to talk to this person, Sam, who's sitting over here in the front row. He's like, he's doing some great things in the community right now. And so I went and I talked to Sam and that's what I want to know from you guys. I want to get to know each and every one of you guys, but I also want to get to know what you guys are already doing Mm. so that we as a church can work together on what our vision is, what our goal is for us as a church, for us as the Valley, and for Pastor Carrie as well. And so 
I look forward to this time with you guys, and thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here with you. And I'm excited to see what God can do through this. So thanks. Zach was uh, licensed with the Christian Missionary Alliance this last year, and he's been involved with getting to know much more about the Alliance world. Um, what I'd like to do here um, is I'd like to close with a video, and then we'll have a closing song. But this video sort of describes some of the Alliance. And uh, I want you to know this when it comes to some of the heart um, that I have for us to be able to do local, regional, and global missions. It's not that I'm a company man with the Christian Missionary Alliance, but I tell you what, the Christian Missionary Alliance, as Billy Graham once said, is the best-kept secret around the world. Some of the missions they do in going into unreached people groups and unreached places is significant and very strong. And because I grew up in Alliance Church, because I went to the Alliance Seminary, I have a lot of friends that are on the mission field today and in ministry, and there's kindred spirit. And the reason it's a kindred spirit is because it's Christ-centered. Jesus Christ, Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. Very Christocentric. This here is my mom's hymn book. My mother passed away recently, and I've had this on my desk since she passed away. And I started looking at some of the missions hymns that are in here. There's one that is a missionary's cry, which is pretty heavy. It's by the founder of the Alliance, A.B. Simpson. And it says something to the effect of 100,000 souls a day are passing one by one away in Christless guilt and um, doom without a ray of hope or light, with future dark, with endless nights, they are passing to their doom. You sing that kind of stuff in a church? That's a heavy. But then there were other hymns like this, I'll go where you want me to go. It may not be on mountains height or over the stormy sea. It may not be at the battle's front. My Lord will have need of me. But if by a still small voice he calls to paths I do not know, I'll answer, dear Lord, with my hand in thine. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. I want to sing it almost over mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. And so the verses go on from there. There's good mission hymns. There's good mission songs that speak to us about being the missionaries. You are part of a larger family, not just the Awakening Church. You are part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. This is a quick little tour of what the Alliance does around the world. And then, Joe, I want you to come and close us with that song that you ended worship with, and we'll receive the Lord's tithes and offerings and your Connect cards. This is not a program we're going to do. This is a culture we're going to create. Someone like Zach, Pastor Zach, helps lead us into that culture and has the horsepower to press into some of the things that maybe we can be doing. Short-term trips, Local missions works, stuff your life group would like to entertain doing, but you need a little encouragement. I want us to pray as a church that 
this time next year when we're celebrating our second anniversary of being in this building, we'll have a plethora of opportunities and stories about how we've been on mission. Something happened with the Church of Christ after 300 years. If you look at it historically, it moved indoors. It was a movement up until the 4th century. And then it started to become about buildings and institutions and hierarchy with clergy. That was never Christ's intent. He breathed on them the Holy Spirit and sent them out. It was to be a movement. Join in watching this. This is a part of the Alliance movement that began with a man by the name of A.B. Simpson, whose heart was broken for the world and would pray over a globe that God would send him, would send others, and that the regions beyond would be reached and that people from every tribe and language and people and nation would be a